Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now. And our Bible reading this evening comes from Acts chapter 14. Acts 14, you'll find it on page 923 of the Pew Bibles, page 923. Uh, we're going to read the end of Luke's account about Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. So we're picking up our reading in Acts 14, verse 19, and we're reading down to the end of the chapter, verse 28. Uh, chapters 13 and 14 of Acts tell the story of Paul and Barnabas on, a, on their first great missionary journey. And this is the end of Luke's account of that journey. So Acts 14, beginning at verse 19, and this is God's word to us. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed themselves to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 14. You'll find our Bible passage tonight on page 923 of the Pew Bibles. Page 923. And before we look at the Bible together, let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for all that we've heard over this missionary weekend. And now as we come to bring it to a close and as we consider your word, we pray that you'd speak to us all and that you would challenge us as we think about what your word says about mission. We pray that you would come by your spirit and help us to understand this passage. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening we're rounding off our missionary weekend together. It's been a busy weekend for us as a church family. It's been the first weekend of its type in my time here, and it has been a really beneficial one for us on lots of different levels. On your behalf, let me say thank you to the members of the missionary committee who have worked so hard at planning the weekend and making it possible. A particular thanks to Bertie Kidd, our missionary com committee convener, who had the initial idea for this weekend and then the drive to see it through. Uh, thank you to everyone involved, especially to everyone who organised food across the whole weekend. Uh, we really appreciate everyone's hard work. Uh, tonight we're closing the weekend having heard from different, different missionary speakers. Uh, we heard from Eve and Niall as they told us about mission in schools in Northern Ireland. Uh, we heard from Claire who's working for the Gospel in London. Uh, Chris spoke to us this morning about the work of Tear Fund in countries like Chad and Burundi. And we've just heard from Ethan who's heading to do some mission work in France. But what we're going to do tonight as we round this weekend off is think about the question, what does the Bible say about mission? 
It's actually quite a broad question, and we need to narrow it down slightly. Uh, The question that we're going to focus on this evening is, what does the Bible say mission involves? It's an important question to ask. It's an important question to have an answer for. And before we look at the answers the Bible gives us, I want you to answer the question. We've done this before in church. I give you a question, and you turn to the person beside you, behind you, sitting in front of you, and you try to come up with an answer. We're going to do that again this evening. So for 30 seconds, a minute, turn to the person beside you, behind you, in front of you, and come up with an answer to the question, what does the Bible say mission involves? Okay, so the clock started. Come up with your answer there. Okay, I hope that was a helpful exercise for you. You maybe come up with lots of different answers to that question. It's a big topic, and you maybe didn't even have time to talk about everything that you wanted to. But what what does the Bible say mission involves? I'm going to give you four answers to that question tonight. We're going to look at the end of Acts 14, and it's going to provide us with some really practical, useful answers to that question. Uh, The book of Acts is actually really quite instructive for us when it comes to the work of the church and to the work of mission. Acts is Luke's second volume, the second book in the New Testament written by Dr. Luke. We're working through his gospel at our morning services at the moment. Uh, And Acts is Luke's second volume, and it tells us about the explosion and growth of the early church. Uh, We're diving into the middle of the book, and we're landing at Luke's account of Paul's first great missionary journey. Uh, That missionary journey is covered in Acts 13 and 14. Uh, We're going to look at the conclusion of it and find some great answers to this question, What does the Bible say mission involves? Here are the four answers this passage gives us. Mission involves preaching, prayer, suffering, and reporting. Preaching, prayer, suffering, and reporting. Four answers, four words. wonder did you mention any of those as you talk to your neighbor? Let's look at this passage together, and let me show you where these answers come from. First of all, mission involves preaching. As we've said already, Acts 13 and 14 tell us about Paul's first missionary journey. He set off with Barnabas in the early part of Acts 13, having been commissioned by the church. In short, Paul and Barnabas covered a lot of ground. They went to 10 different cities in four different regions. You'll see a map on the screen of where they went. So they started in a place called Antioch, which is over on the right-hand side. They traveled to Cyprus, which is the island in the middle, and then they traveled on to other regions. You might be looking at the map and you might be thinking, well, where is that today? The next map on the screen will give you an idea. Uh, Syria is still Syria. Cyprus is still Cyprus. But the next region they went on to is now modern-day Turkey. It's a holiday hotspot for tourists nowadays. But Acts 13 and 14 tell us that Paul and tell us what Paul and Barnabas focused on on their trip. They focused on preaching. If you look over at Acts 13 verse 5, you'll see that in one of the first cities they land in, Salamis, Luke tells us that they proclaimed the word of God. Uh, Further down in Acts 13, uh, 16 to 41, we have a record of one of Paul's sermons. He preached in a synagogue in Antioch. And following that sermon, there was a mighty work of God. Acts 13, 48 to 49, tell us that the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And then in 14, verse 3, Paul and Barnabas are in Iconium. And Luke says they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. In the section we're looking at, the end of the chapter, Paul and Barnabas come to their final city, Derby, And what do they do? We'll just look at 14, 21. 
when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They preached the gospel. Preaching was one of the things that marked the work of the first Christian missionaries. Preaching is what should mark the work of Christian missionaries today. Unfortunately, we, we live in a day and age when preaching is considered out of touch and irrelevant to the needs of society around us. Uh, there was an article in a well-known Christian magazine recently about preaching, and to be honest, it was a pretty awful article. The author was basically arguing for short, punchy sermons with a limited amount of, amount of depth and content. Is that what Paul's sermons were like? Well, there's an example in 13, 16 to 41, and you couldn't say that his preaching lacked depth or content. He took his listeners through the big story of the Bible, through different parts of the Old Testament, and spoke of how through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to them. Now, we shouldn't think that that's all that Paul said. Luke is probably just sketching out Paul's sermon notes. In total, Paul's sermon in Acts 13 is about 600 words. If I was to preach that same sermon word for word, it would probably take me around six minutes. Is that really the length of time Paul spoke for? Most definitely not. The, the, the thing is, we're never told in terms of hours, minutes, or seconds how long someone preached for in the Bible. It wasn't an issue for the writers of the New Testament, and it wasn't an issue in the early church. Although we're not told, probably spoke, Paul probably spoke in a similar way in Derby. He preached the gospel to that city, and through his preaching, people became Christians. God worked through his word as it was preached. Now that phrase, preach the gospel, in Acts 14, 21, is important to understand. We might think that Paul stood up and shared something along the lines of John three sixteen, because that's what the gospel is, right? Well, not quite. The, the gospel is neatly summarized and beautifully summarized by a verse like John three sixteen. But if that was the only thing we had to say, Christian preaching would be very limited. No, Paul preached the gospel by preaching the whole counsel of God. He walked his listeners through the Old Testament with all its contours and colours and showed people how Jesus is the fulfilment of everything that came before him. And he also spoke clearly about the cross and of Jesus' death on the cross and how it removes the penalty and power of sin for us. The Bible says that mission involves preaching. That's what Paul did. That's one of the things that we should be supporting the proclamation of the gospel in our day. Now, of course, we shouldn't limit ourselves by thinking that preaching only happens in churches on Sundays. All of our speakers this weekend are involved in gospel proclamation in different contexts. School assemblies, small group Bible studies, supporting churches in, in difficult regions. The, the word is being proclaimed and explained. And that's how God works in our world today, through his word. So that's the first answer Acts 14 gives us. Mission involves preaching. So secondly, mission involves prayer. Do you see that in Acts 14, 23? Mission involves prayer. Luke, Luke tells us that once Paul and Barnabas were finished in Derby, they went home via some of the places they visited on their outbound journey. That They stopped to strengthen the souls of those who had trusted in Christ. They appointed elders in the newly formed church families. As an aside, we should note that mission always comes out of the context of the local church. It's never a solo run. But what does Luke tell us Paul and Barnabas do after they've appointed elders? Verse 23. 
And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They prayed. They prayed that those who had trusted in Christ would be strengthened. They prayed that those who had trusted in Christ would have the patience to endure any suffering that came their way. They prayed that the elders that they had appointed would serve Christ faithfully and continue the work once they had left. Prayer was at the heart of the first missionary journey. It wasn't an afterthought. wasn't an optional extra. It was at the heart of the work. If you cast your eye back to the beginning of the journey, we're told in 13.3 that the church commissioned Paul and Barnabas before they left and that they fasted and they prayed. They prayed at the start. They prayed at the end. And they prayed throughout the journey in city after city, in region after region. Mission involves prayer. Why is it the work of churches, the work of Christian mission, is diminishing in the West? Why are churches closing? Why are outreaches stopping? Why are we not sending as many missionaries as we once did? Because the churches stopped praying. Here's what the Bible says about prayer. This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But we don't. We've stopped asking. The Bible also says you do not have because you do not ask. There's a real lack of gospel workers in our day. For example, there are fewer ministry students coming through PCI at the moment. Why are there so few? Could it be that we don't have as many because we're not asking for any? But prayer is one of the marks of Christian mission. We were called to pray as a church as we go about our witness. Those who are in the field are called to pray that God would bless their work. And we're called to pray for those who are serving Christ as well. The the prayer letters that we provide for you in the porches are a really useful tool when it comes to prayer. Do you know, we would love to have to print more because the demand for prayer letters is so high. You do not have because you do not ask. We shouldn't expect to hear of people coming to faith. We shouldn't expect to hear of churches or outreaches flourishing or, or being blessed by God if we're not praying. Well, what does mission involve? What does Christian mission look like? What did Paul and his fellow gospel workers do? Well, their mission was marked by preaching, prayer, and thirdly, suffering. Suffering. This is maybe a surprising point, but just look at how Paul is treated in Acts 13 and 14. Having preached powerful sermons in Antioch and Iconium, which were mainly Jewish areas, the natives reacted uh, reacted negatively. In Antioch, the Jews were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. That's 1345. In Iconium, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. That's 143. When Paul is in Lystra, Jews from Antioch, Iconium, and Iconium make their way there and stone him. That's 1419. Luke vividly writes that they dragged him out of the city, stoned him, and left him, supposing that he was dead. Working for the gospel, serving Christ on the mission field, involves suffering. Living as a Christian in a hostile world involves suffering. The the thing is, on their way home, Paul and Barnabas explain this to the people who became Christians on their outbound journey. As we've said, they go back to some of the places they visited and they strengthen the souls of the disciples and encourage followers of Jesus to continue in the faith. Now, what did that strengthening look like? What did that encouragement sound like? Well, it sounded like this. 
You've become a Christian and that's great, but you should know that there will be times when it is really hard. Just look at verse 22. Paul and Barnabas told the disciples that they would enter the kingdom of God. They would, they would reach heaven, get to heaven through many tribulations. Now, Paul was able to say that with great integrity. Why? Because he had just been stoned, left for dead. Well, we should never be unrealistically optimistic with new believers. But part of what we said to people who have just become Christians is that the Christian life will involve suffering. Trusting in Jesus is not a silver bullet that takes away all the bad things in your life, but far from it. And we should also recognize that those involved in mission at home and abroad will encounter or go through periods of suffering. If you, if you read any missionary biography, you will read of servants of Christ who have suffered intensely for the gospel. Th think of Helen Roosevelt, who served Christ in Congo. She went to the Congo in 1953 with WEC to be a med medical missionary. She returned to England in the late 1950s before going back to the Congo in 1960. In 1964, she was taken prisoner by rebels in the country uh, she was in, in the Congo, and she was raped and she was beaten. After her release, she, was, she returned home. And you might think that her experience in the Congo would have put her off. But Roosevelt returned to the Congo in 1966 and established a new medical school and hospital, among other things. Or think of Maud Kells. It's quite poignant that she has died over our missionary weekend. She died on Thursday evening. But just like Helen Roosevelt, Maud Kells suffered for the gospel in Congo. In her autobiography, she, she retells the story of the night she was as a 75-year-old woman shot by an intruder. Christian missionaries all over the world are on a daily basis exposed to suffering. Whether it's for simply owning a Bible, whether it's for distributing Christian literature, whether it's for organizing Christian meetings, whether it's for simply being known as someone from another culture who therefore has more resources or money, Suffering is part of missionary service. What we should realize is that if we're going to live fruitful, Christ-honoring lives in this part of the world, in our own contexts, suffering will follow us too. Do, do, do you have realis realistic expectations about what awaits you in the Christian life? To be a faithful witness will mean antagonism. Are you ready for it? Will you keep going despite it? Will you pray for Christian missionaries who are working in difficult contexts? Will you keep those words in mind? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. What does the Bible say mission involves? We've thought about three answers so far, preaching, prayer, and suffering. There's one more answer for us in this passage, reporting, reporting. Let's read the closing verses of Acts 14, verses 24 to 28. Luke writes, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples." Luke tells us about some of the stop-offs on Paul and Barnabas' way home, but he also includes a really fascinating scene. But Paul and Barnabas finally make it home. They're weather-beaten. They're exhausted from the work. But what do they do? 
When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They gathered their local church family together and they reported on the work that they had been involved in. They organized interviews, they organized breakfasts, they organized soup lunches, they organized services, and they reported about the work of the gospel, specifically among the Gentiles. There's a brilliant phrase used here. Paul and Barnabas reported about how God had opened a door. He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now that same expression is used in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, 2 Corinthians 2, 12, and Colossians 4, 3. And that's what God does in Christian mission. He opens doors. He's opening doors in schools in Northern Ireland, schools that are becoming more and more secular. He's opening doors in London, and he's opening doors across the world through people who are working with the world's poorest. It's good for us to hear reports about Christian mission because it reminds us that that God is still at work in our world today. He's still opening doors. He's still bringing people to faith. The word of the Lord is spreading throughout the world. So that's what mission involves, according to Acts 14. Preaching, prayer, suffering, and reporting. Well, what we should notice is that these things are really simple and really straightforward. Yet so often we complicate things or lose our focus It's good for us to realign our perspectives and to see the direction God gives us when it comes to working for his kingdom. Now, what's the outworking or application of all of this for us? On the one hand, it's that we should continue to support people who are proclaiming the word. We should continue to pray without ceasing for those who are serving Christ. We should also pray regularly for more gospel workers in our day, for more young people like Ethan to go out and serve Christ locally or abroad. We should pray that missionaries would have the faith to endure suffering in their work. And we should support gospel workers when they come to our church or come to report on their work. Just as the points in our passage are simple, so is the application on one hand. But as well as supporting Christian mission locally and further afield, we should also commit ourselves to reaching our community here in the Breit. Let me finish with this illustration. There was a story in a national newspaper on Friday about Britain's loneliest sheep. There's a sheep stranded at the foot of a cliff in the Scottish Highlands, and it's been there for about two years. Somebody spotted the sheep two years ago on a paddling trip, and the same person spotted the sheep in the same place recently. The sheep is on a shingle beach at the bottom of a steep, rocky coastline, and it can't get back up the cliff. Because the sheep has been stranded for about two years, its fleece is now overgrown and actually touches the ground. It's thought that it was part of a flock that had been temporarily grazing nearby. It's a sad story because no animals should be left to suffer in that way. But it's an illustration, isn't it, uh, isn't it, of the situation of so many people that we know and love in our area. They're lost. Lost like a sheep that is left alone on an isolated hillside. Spiritually speaking, they can't make their way back to God themselves. The gap is too wide. The cliff is too sheer. The distance is too wide. Their sin is too great. In the article in the newspaper about the, sh- in the, article in the, newspaper about the sheep, it said that efforts are being made to stage a rescue attempt and a drone will now be launched to check on the sheep's welfare. Someone is going to do something about the lost sheep. 
In spiritual terms, someone already has done something about lost sheep, about lost sinners. God hasn't just launched a drone to check on the welfare of those who are lost. He doesn't just check that we're existing, look down from heaven occasionally. No, he has sent a rescuer and his name is Jesus, the the one who came to seek and save the lost. Jesus has come and everyone who believes in him will be ransomed, healed, restored and forgiven. Everyone who believes in him will be welcomed into his family, into his church, into his flock. But in our day, in our area, in our community, there are people who have never heard this. And if they have heard it, they don't see the abiding relevance of it. And that maybe describes you tonight, here in church, watching online. You've heard this message over and over again, but it just washes over you. That that's where we come in as the church. It's not our job to save people. Only God can do that. But what we can do is pray, think creatively, and work together so that people in our area can come to know the rescuer. So that people who are lost in our community can come to know the great shepherd of the sheep, our saviour and our friend Jesus. There really is only one message, only one gospel that can do anything of note for people. It's the gospel that we have recorded for us in the scriptures. So as our missionary weekend closes, the question that we're all left with is, will we keep supporting the work of mission across the world and also locally? But the question is also, Will we commit ourselves to reaching the lost in our families, in our workplaces, and in our area? Will we commit ourselves to preaching, speaking the word to others, to prayer, praying for people who aren't believers, to enduring through times of suffering, and to reporting and recounting and thanking God for the work that he has done among us here in Bukna? Let's pray together. Father, as we round off this missionary weekend together as a church family, we come to say thank you for rescuing us and saving us. We thank you for Jesus who has died so that we might live. And we thank you that having come to know you, you have welcomed us into your flock. But we we realize that having saved us, you, you call us to take your word, to take your gospel into all the earth. And we pray that you would help us as a church family to support the work of Christian mission both locally and abroad, but that you would also help us with our outreach in our local community as well. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, for all that he has accomplished on the cross for us. And we pray that his word would continue to go forth here in Bucknath through our church family so that lost sinners might come to know him. Father, we pray all these things in his saving and powerful name. Amen.